Current time is now 7.24 p.m. here in Seoul, South Korea. It's time for the latest in Made Korea. Last Friday on September 15th, South Korea commemorated the anniversary of the Incheon landing operation. Now, this battle, sometimes known as the Battle of Incheon or as uh, Operation Chromite, was really crucial, if not the most crucial, uh, in turning the tide of the Korean War after uh, North Korea's initial invasion on June 25th, 1950, despite what North Korea would say. Uh, this event is commemorating annually in South Korea uh, to the point where even SSG landers uh, located in Incheon uh, named their team after the ever so famous uh, landing operation. To talk about all this and more, we have Professor Benjamin Engel joining us in the studio. Professor, thank you very much for joining us. Glad to be here. Yeah, so before, since we were talking baseball with uh, Kosuke, SSG landers, and you see this, you obviously see uh, a significance in the Incheon uh, landing operation. But as an American, <laughs> uh, SSG landers, how do you feel about that as a, a baseball team name? I guess the average American wouldn't put two and two together on that one and would be kind of thrown off. Um, it would make sense after an explanation, but definitely at first you kind of turn your head sideways a little bit. Yeah. I, the other thing with that is I think I think they're trying to, they got the idea from the A's, the Oakland A's. So their hat says L's, but you know, L's mean losses. And so we're just gonna, when we first saw that, we're just going to like, <laughs> man, they might have done a, should, should have done some research before they did this. But uh, we're not going to be talking about, uh, obviously, baseball and the history of baseball. Maybe we could talk about that here in Korea. Uh, but uh, we'll discuss uh, not just in the context in which the operation took place in the military history of the battle, but also how the operation has been perceived in Korea uh, since the end of the Korean War. Uh this would have never happened, first of all. <laughs> this whole engine landing operation it wouldn't have happened if not for North Korea's invasion uh, in South Korea in June 1950. Let's talk about this because we talked about previously, uh, we you know the, the significance of the Korean War. But why did the war break out at that time, June 25th, 1950? Is there any significance with this, where this is a random date? No, it actually, um, you know, is a buildup of a long process. So regular listeners uh, will maybe remember our conversation last week where we talked about the division of the peninsula. Just to quickly recap, right after World War II, the U.S. and Soviet Union agreed to uh, conduct a trusteeship and divide the peninsula in half at the 38th parallel. So you need those two Koreas to get an inter-Korean war. Um, despite uh, agreeing to set up this joint commission to oversee the trusteeship, uh, the Soviet Union and United States are unable to agree upon a method of founding a united government for all of Korea because both of these powers, seeing the Cold War coming, don't want to relinquish the Korean Peninsula to a government that might be friendly to the other. So in 1948, we get the founding of the two Koreas, right? right. Um, so uh, from this point on, both Lee Seung-man in uh, South Korea and Kim Il-sung in North Korea both want to unite the peninsula violent, through violence if necessary, and both are actually uh, appealing to their super war uh, benefactors for permission to begin the Korean War after the foundation of the um, the foundation of both Koreas. And we were talking about this last week, how Lee Seung-man could have easily, maybe it could have been easy South Korea going into North Korea first, but it just was the other way around. Right. So uh, Kim Il-sung was, uh, since 1949, uh, 
making trips to Moscow, asking Stalin for permission uh, to begin this invasion. And then in 1950, he finally gets the go-ahead. And there's a, ser- a series of developments in 1949 that we think probably led Stalin to make this decision. The first one was the uh, Soviet Union's successful nuclear weapons test. Uh-huh. So now the United States is not the only country with a nuclear weapon. So that kind of puts the two on even terms there. The second development was the victory of the Chinese Communist Party in the uh, uh, Chinese Civil War. So the People's Republic of China is founded on October 1st, 1949. So now uh, if North Korea begins its invasion, it can receive assistance from China as well as the Soviet Union. And then third and most importantly, perhaps, was that the United States finally withdrew its military forces from South Korea. So if Kim Il-sung invades, uh, Stalin believes that the U.S. won't come to uh South Korea's aid. Of course, this was a big miscalculation because the U.S. does eventually intervene in the war. I, I want to talk about something like a big what if. So amongst maybe South Koreans, there was always the criticism towards uh, Harry, uh, President Truman, right? Harry S. Truman, in that, well, you guys used the atomic bomb against Japan, uh, but you didn't use the atomic bomb against North Korea, uh, especially when you know, you know China got involved. Was it, do you think if the U.S. did indeed use atomic bomb against North Korea to kind of end this very quickly, then then uh, the Soviet Union, now that they have a nuclear weapon as well, they might have used that against the South Korea and the United States, uh, U.S. forces? I think that's very possible and probably likely one of the big reasons that um, the U.S. was reluctant to use uh, nuclear weapons. Um, also, any, any, you know... China would have been drawn into the war because, you know, you would have been using these weapons most likely on Chinese territory as well to prevent um, Chinese and Soviet forces from entering. So this would have made the war. um, At this point, it's a proxy war. Um, You know, the Soviet Union never officially commits troops. And it's not until later that the Chinese do. So the use of nuclear weapons would have just made it a a much bigger monster, potentially setting off World War Three. Yeah. And the the Chinese, I think, only got involved because, again, when we'll talk about it maybe later, when the uh, the U.S. forces and the Korean forces and the UN forces together, they kind of pushed North Korea up near the Chinese border. Mm-hmm. And so they were getting a little bit uneasy with the idea that, you know, they've gone this far. But let's talk about the initial process. How did the Korean War progress after the initial invasion? Because, I mean, the North were kind of, they were really at it. They took, you know, a huge chunk of uh, South Korea. And uh, also, let's talk about why the landing operation at Incheon was necessary. Right. So as you were saying, um, the North Korean invasion caught South Korea uh, completely off guard. Um, they just flat out weren't prepared. And North Korean forces penetrated into South Korea very quickly. Um, just in two days of the invasion, North Koreans uh, were within the vicinity of uh, Gimpo Airport. And then just uh, four days later, on June 28th, Seoul was captured by North Korean forces. About a month later, on July 20th, North Korean forces captured Daejeon. So, you know, they're pretty much gone halfway down the peninsula. And then by late August, North Korea had occupied pretty much the entire peninsula, except for a little bubble around Busan Busan. in the southeast uh, part of the country. And this became known as the Busan perimeter, right? Uh, South Korean forces. And by that time, the United States had intervened in the war. Uh, They created this perimeter around Busan to keep a foothold on the peninsula. And they were able to um, halt the North Korean invasion at this Busan perimeter uh, with the U.S. bringing in its forces. Uh, When the war began, only North Korea had tanks available, but the United States began bringing its advanced equipment. And soon uh, the U.N. forces, including South Korea and the United States, had uh, uh, um, 
advantage in terms of the number of tanks in the war. Um, very quickly at the beginning of the war, the U.S. was able to establish air superiority by destroying the North Korean Air Force. So that was a big help in mm-hmm. that the Americans were able to destroy North Korean supply lines uh, down into the south uh, using their uh, aircraft. Um, and so uh, North Korea's uh, adv- blitzkrieg attack, although it was very successful at the beginning, it was in the end not successful enough. It was halted there. And this set up the perfect context for this counterattack, uh, which came at Incheon. It could have gone anywhere, uh, but it went in uh, the counterattack was uh, conducted in Incheon. Uh, is there a particular reason why Incheon was chosen as uh, the site for this uh, counteroffensive? Right. So there were strategic and psychological reasons for the choice of Incheon. And there were also uh, definitely a lot of factors that would have uh, excluded Incheon from being the site of this counterattack. Um, Incheon, as we know, uh, is the main port of access to Seoul. Today, of course, almost anybody who arrives here in Korea uh, arrives via Incheon International Airport. And of course, back in the day, Incheon was also kind of the gateway to Seoul. Uh, People in that time, of course, were using ships as the main medium of transportation. So the port had strategic value in that it was the gateway to Seoul. Um, However, this was mitigated by the fact that at that time, Incheon wasn't necessarily the most important port in South Korea. It was Busan. Busan was facing Japan, so during the Japanese colonial era, Busan was uh, developed much more uh, than Incheon was, and also during the war, all the U.S. forces are coming over from Japan, uh, so Busan was uh, the most important uh, port, Um, but psychologically... Capturing Incheon and then being able to retake the capital of Seoul was a very important symbol. Um, but then on the other hand, if anybody has ever taken the the bridges, right, from Seoul, you go to Incheon Airport, you cross over the bridge at land, uh, low tide, mm-hmm. that's just a big muddy mess, yeah. right? Incheon is a very shallow port. Um, so there were many people who argued against uh, conducting this landing at Incheon because of the, the the severe tides, right? If you didn't time the landing of the Marines at the right time, they would be stuck up. in yeah. this mud. Um, they would be slaughtered, basically. Uh, so um, many other people argued for maybe landing at Gunsan, which is a little bit south of Incheon, right? Or maybe on the other side in North Korea, at Wansan, somewhere else uh, that would have been made more sense and still accomplish the same goal of kind of cutting off North Korea from the north, right? So when they landed at Incheon, they were able to uh, kind of come in behind North Korean lines and and threaten them. But this uh, psychological value of capturing Seoul right away uh, became the determining factor. I always thought that the Incheon landing was successful because, I mean, you raised the idea of Kunsan, right? And uh, Kunsan being southwest of the country, it might not have had maybe the same impact in that Incheon was significant because, again, the the North Korean military, the army, they were going downwards, right? Mm-hmm. They were trying to push towards, that's why they went down as far as to Busan and probably trying to even capture Busan themselves. But it was that they were sort of uh, surprising them from the back because they were mo- uh, mo- the, the North Korean troops were moving south. They had no idea, although geographically, I mean, surrounded by water, it could have easily gone from the, the, the East Coast as well. But the fact that they surprised them from the back was reason why it was uh, so successful. But let's talk about how the battle itself actually progressed because we only talk about like the success of the Incheon landing operation. But I mean, it's not something like, boom, they landed in Incheon and next thing you know, they took everything. It was quite a long operation. Uh, What also led to the success of the operation? 
Right. So uh, General Douglas MacArthur, who was uh, the commander of uh, UN forces in Korea, uh, began planning the operation uh, in late July, anticipating that the, uh, the U.S. and uh, South Korean forces would halt the North Korean advance. Um, and he uh, was quoted as saying in August, we shall land at Incheon and I shall crush them. Uh, so he was very <laughs> confident about this. Um, and uh, as we mentioned before, the operation was codenamed Operation Chromite, uh, which is where the title of the recent movie about this comes from. Um, the operation had a series of series of objectives. The first was to capture Wolmido, which was an island right next to the actual city of Incheon. Right. Um, that was a fortified position where North Korean troops were entrenched with a, a lot of artillery. So if Wolmido wasn't taken, then the Marines landing on the mainland would be shelled relentlessly by uh, North Korean guns. So taking Wolmido was the uh, first key to uh, this landing. After uh, uh, forces landed in Incheon itself. Taking the city was uh, step number two. And then step number three was taking Gimpo Airfield. So today, Gimpo is kind of Seoul's other airport that nobody really talks about anymore. Maybe if you go to Jeju, you go to Gimpo, but otherwise, uh, not a lot of people use it. Uh, but back then, it was a major military base, and it served as uh, Seoul's main airport until Incheon International Airport opened in 2001. And then after Gimpo was uh, secured, uh, UN forces would move on to Seoul. And... Um, Despite all the problems I mentioned before about the tides, uh, the U.S. Navy and other countries uh, were uh, conducted the landings uh, very precisely at all the right times. Um, it was just carried off without a hitch. A total of 230, shi 230 ships from seven different countries assisted the operation, and uh, a total of nearly 70,000 troops landed at Incheon. Um, they, they conducted their operations uh, right in the uh, plan as they set out uh, with the objectives. Incheon was taken on the day of the landings on September 15th. Uh, the following day, Gimpo Air Force field was taken. And then by September 19th, UN forces had moved to the southern bank of the Han River, so pretty much where you yeah. and I are sitting right now. Um, and then the battle for Seoul itself took uh, several more days, and uh, Seoul was retaken on September 28th, about uh, a week and a half after the landing. I, that's just remarkable because I, maybe, I mean, it, it just shows you uh, the, the gravity of this particular operation, but to take back the, the, the capital in that short period of time, even to, to be able to take Incheon in a single day, take Kimpo the next day, and then just taking two days, a few days uh, to capture uh, the capital once again. And you mentioned once again, you know, gain, gaining back the capital is a huge morale boost uh, for all the troops out there. So, I mean, We've always talked about this. We've always learned this. Yes, the Incheon landing operation, very successful. And, you know, because of the very successful operation, next thing you know, what was once just a little bubble that you talked about in Busan turns into a huge operation where the, the UN forces, uh, the US troops, South Korea, they're able to capture the most uh, parts of uh, North Korea. Let's talk about the course of the war after the Incheon landing, because, I mean, it was just a complete 180 degree turnaround uh, for uh, South Korea and its allies. Right. This was, yeah, like you said, uh, a very decisive moment in the war uh, with Seoul recaptured um, and the North Korean troops are, who were still far down in the south, right, around the Busan perimeter trying to finish off uh, South Korean and U.S. forces down there. Um, they were in uh, threat of being cut off, you know, supply lines from the north uh, where aid in, from China and the Soviet Union was flowing down to them. If they didn't retreat, they were going to be trapped and destroyed. Uh, so North Korean forces hastily uh, retreated back across the 30th parallel, and this set up another decisive moment in the war. Were 
uh, U.S. and South Korean forces going to chase North Korea north of the 38th parallel or just return things to the status quo before the war itself started? Um, and there were debates about this, um, whether they should cross the 38th parallel. Um, for one, uh, the U.N. resolution that sanctioned the founding of the United Nations right. Command and this uh, multinational intervention um, it, it stated that it condoned an international response to North Korea's aggression, but does that imply that you are allowed to then invade North Korea and take them out? Uh, that was kind of um, ambivalent. Uh, but nevertheless, the United States, uh, primarily on General MacArthur's uh, insistence, decided to advance into North Korea. And on October 1st, so just a few days after Seoul is recaptured, the first South Korean units cross into North Korea. And then just days after this, the Chinese Communist Party decides that it is going to intervene in the war. Yeah. Uh, the 30th parallel was a red line for them, and once uh, U.S. and South Korean forces crossed it, um, the Chinese decided to uh, intervene in the war. As you stated, uh, the South Korean U.S. were able to move up the peninsula very quickly um, and captured uh, Pyongyang uh, in mid-October. Um, however, uh, it was a very short-lived uh, kind of victory because on October 25th, South Korean forces and Chinese forces engaged in battle for the first time. And then a massive Chinese counterattack in November sent U UN forces retreating very quickly back down and out of North Korea. Seoul was recaptured again uh, by communist forces. Um, and then in uh, January 1951, uh, Seoul was, uh, or excuse me, in the summer of 1951, eventually the UN forces were able to push back and take Seoul again, obviously. And in the summer of 1951, the lines kind of stabilize yeah. around what we know today as the DMZ. It just goes back and forth. And uh, for our listeners out there, there's a, a YouTube video uh, of a graph of how the, the, the Korean War progressed. Uh, and you see like the, the red and blue and, uh, you know, North Korea just kind of completely taking over the entire peninsula. except for that little bubble that we talked about in Busan. It goes up and then it goes down, up and down, up and down. And all those deaths and all we have left over was what were really started from the beginning, right? The third right. Field parallel with the DMZ. And so we've kind of talked about and most often... Uh, you know, General Douglas MacArthur is highly praised here in South Korea and probably like public public enemy number one in North Korea. <laughs> uh, but his decision to push forth and try to take over North Korea was controversial to say the least. Uh, would you say, I guess just as an expert, uh, you know, studying uh, history, uh, and I know you're no gen general, but would it have been just a safer plan to just say, you know what, we took back what we lost. Uh, we have the DMZ, it's split in half once again, let's end it here. Or do you think he did have a reasonable, uh, uh, you know, choice to, to, to make that jump and to try to take over North Korea? We definitely have the benefit of hindsight. Uh, so yeah. uh, with that caveat in mind, it was a very dangerous decision. Um, Stalin made the um, underestimated the United States initially, not thinking they would intervene in the war. And then the United States did the same thing uh, with China. They thought even though if they, they advanced north of the 38th parallel, that China would not get involved, uh, too afraid to uh, fight with the United States. Um, and, they, and they calculated wrong. And uh, the Chinese intervened with a massive, overwhelming force and pushed the UN back down. Um, I think if the United States was aware 
that the Chinese would intervene if they had, um, you know, put more thought into that or guessed correctly. Uh, they would have refrained from advancing uh, north of the 38th parallel uh, because obviously it cost a lot of lives, um, a, a lot of blood and treasure, as they say. And so it, it turned out to be kind of a poor decision, I would say. Yeah, and I have to say that, uh, you know, China getting involved with that was also a big risk that they had to take because knowing that the U.S. is fully capable of having a, a, a nuclear weapon, and although, uh, at least luckily for many, many soldiers, uh, both sides, I mean, the the nuclear, the atomic bomb wasn't used, it could have been an option, but despite the fact, uh, I think China uh, still went forth. But again, going back, did China's decision to sort of kind of push forward with the war as well was maybe partly due to the fact that, hey, if everything goes sour and the U.S. does end up using the atomic bomb, maybe the Soviet Union is going to get involved and they, they, they'll use the atomic bomb as well. Would you think maybe that was on the back of their minds? Yeah, I think they were conscious of the Soviet Union. Maybe like if it needed to uh, become involved, uh, obviously the conflict would have spiraled out of control into some sort of World War III situation at yeah, that point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but this is also a very existential, existential threat for China, right? It had just finished defeating the nationalists in the Chinese uh, Civil War. One of the first things the United States actually did when the Korean War broke out was to send its seventh fleet into the Taiwan Strait to protect Taiwan mm -hmm. from a potential Chinese invasion. And so there was no, uh, if you're Mao Zedong looking at this situation in uh, 1950, there's no guarantee that the U.S. was going to stop at the Yalu River, right? If they take all of North Korea, are they just going to stop? Or are they going to continue on into China to try and uh, revert China back to nationalist control? Do you think that's I, a possibility? I, if you're Mao Zedong looking at it, you can't... Uh, Right, you know, right. You can't ignore this. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, it's, you know, fight in uh, Korea and prevent them from taking over North Korea, or it's, you know, hope that they stop at the Yalu River and not cross into Manchuria. Yeah, and that was not a, a risk that they're willing to take here. But uh, how would you say the Incheon landing operation is remembered today after all these years? Right. So I think the psychological impact of the Incheon landing, right, uh, was uh, has carried over into history has carried over, so the operation is a very important part in South Korean history. Uh, there's a park largely dedicated to uh, the landing and the battle. Uh, there's a statue there of General uh, Douglas MacArthur and also a Freedom Park signifying the battle's importance in terms of rescuing South Korea from being overcome by Communist North Korea. There's also a memorial hall for the Incheon landing operation in Incheon. And then a ceremony is held, as you mentioned at the opening, uh, every September 15th to commemorate the landing. And in the coming years, Incheon uh, uh, city government is thinking about upgrading this ceremony uh, when the 75th anniversary is held in 2025 to take on a more international uh, dimension to invite international leaders from these uh countries that uh, supplied troops and material to uh, the UN forces during the war. Uh, so this would, in theory, this would kind of try to bring it up to the level of the D-Day commemorations that mm -hmm. are held in Normandy every year. Uh, every five years in Normandy, uh, the D-Day landing commemorations take on this much uh, larger scale, inviting a lot of uh, international leaders. Um, and really, in some ways, the Incheon landing is uh, at that level of uh, um, the Normandy landings, right? This was uh, the kickoff of the Cold War Absolutely. and the second half of the 20th century. Yeah, we forget, I think, uh, when we talk about the, uh, the the Korean War, how close it could have potentially led to a third world war. But uh, we often talk about the General uh, General Douglas MacArthur. And uh, again, for the most part, a, you know, considered a hero. Uh, but I don't think he was kind of... Uh, 
you know, free from controversies as well. There were some controversies surrounding uh, the Incheon landing operations as well. That's not often talked about, I think, in, in history books. Right. So uh, the first one is um, I mentioned Wolmido Wo and right. the objectives of the Incheon landing, how it needed to be taken in order for the, the Marines to land on the beaches of Incheon safely. Five days before the uh, the landing operations commenced, 93 napalm bombs were dropped Jeez. on Wolmido to clear it out uh, to allow the Marines to uh, more easily take the island. However, it wasn't only military installations that were on the island. There were civilians living there who were killed when these napalm bombs were dropped on Wolmido. Um, in 2008, a South Korean Truth and Reconciliation Commission uh, uh, investigated uh, these claims and uh, uh, asserted that 100 or more civilian deaths were resulted from the, the, from the dropping of these napalm bombs, many of them women and children. So this is, you know, one of the lesser known uh, massacres that occurred during the Korean War. Um, Nogundi, of course, is a, a one that is known better. Of course, there were massacres uh, carried out by North Koreans and South Koreans as right. well. Uh, but this was kind of a blot on the United States military's record. And then, as you mentioned, MacArthur himself is a, a kind of a controversial figure in some ways. He was famously removed from command of troops in Korea after many public clashes with Harry Truman. Uh, but per perhaps the most controversial thing about him was his plan to use atomic weapons right. uh, during the war. In an interview in 1954, Marth MacArthur was quoted as saying, quote, I would have dropped between 30 and 50 atomic bombs, Jeez. end quote, in the area that separated China and Korea. And he went on to say he wanted to create a radioactive belt of cobalt to prevent any uh, future invasion of the Korean Peninsula from the north. Um, so uh, strategically, uh, as a outsider, this probably made sense to MacArthur. Uh, but if you're a Korean person thinking about, you know, a, your country being turned into a radioactive wasteland, then yeah. you might have some issues with those plans. And uh, Professor Angle, I'm glad you've also covered this portion of history because, again, like you said, I mean, this is probably the least known aspect of the Korean War. And uh, you know, when we talk about Warmido, we talk about the Warmido amusement, the little amusement park there. Mm -hmm. and it's a fun place, uh, but there is dark history with this as well. And I hope all of our listeners were at least a bit more uh, educated on this front. And I hope you enjoyed all of the. Uh, I guess, the history of the Korean War, uh, including the, the Incheon landing. Professor, thank you very much for your uh, explanation of the Incheon landing operation. Have a safe rest of your week, and we'll see you again. Yep, see you soon. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application, or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.